Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. What I mean is that most of the guys that are building products for cheap, you're just covering or attending 5% of the market. There's another 95% of the market that is looking for everything else other than cheap. They're looking for service. They're looking for quality. They're looking for ease of access. They're looking for payment plans. They're looking for options. And that's where the big opportunity is. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I teach you how to create all the revenue you want while taking Fridays off. My name is Geraldine Carter. Most CPAs struggle with pricing. Some have moved to flat rate or subscription pricing, and some still bill by the hour. What they often struggle to understand is the full depth of the value they offer to their clients. And because they don't fully understand the value, they're leaving Everest-sized mountains of money on the table, which means they have to work a lot harder to compensate for the missed opportunity. Here today to talk with me about this problem is my guest, Jose Mirabal. Jose is the author of the Value-Based Pricing Framework and the founder and director of the Pricing Institute, where he has advised more than 1,500 companies in 42 industries on their pricing strategies. So, Jose, where we left off for listeners, we were just diving into need-based segmentation, understanding your audience, what they need, and configuring your offerings And then pricing from there. So for listeners who are just picking up with this episode, if you didn't hear our conversation from last week's episode, go back and listen to that first if you want to have the context for the rest of this conversation. So where we left off right at the end there was understanding your market and understanding what they need. I think a lot of business owners think they know what their clients need, but it sounds like what you're saying is they don't. So expand. Let me give you a real example. Years 2019, I'm working with fish producer and exporter. He has farms. It's a salmon uh, farm. And they export, I mean, their monthly ex- uh, distribution business is about 1,000 tons. So they move about 1,000 tons of salmon. But they also move about, uh, in total, they move 17 species. So they move uh, a shrimp. They move octopus, they move a bunch of those things, okay? So this client, uh, he's been on the market for 13 years. It's a guy that actually was, uh, he, he worked for a salmon, one of the largest salmon companies in the world, which is actually down here in Chile, Colagua, Chile. 
And he actually uh, spent a stint of two years in China because he actually was a sales for them. So he learned a lot about how to pick fish and pick salmon that the Chinese would buy. All right. So then he decided to open up his business. He has his own infrastructure right now. He's doing great. Ascent, he's moving a thousand tons. So obviously that's fantastic. Aside from that, if he's not exporting, this guy, is, this guy is actually selling to restaurant chains and hotel chains. So he has about 200 clients, okay, in there. So when we met, we met at a talk. And I remember he was telling me about his business and I told him, you're into a business. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, because you're into high volumes, low margins, right? What's your margin, I ask him. He's like, oh, it's about 10% and so on. I'm like, yeah, dude, it's like, I have a client that moves rice and he's making seven. So, you know, you're not that far away. So the question is, what do we do? So we started doing segmentation. So I proposed to him and I said, how well do you know your clients? Well, he should, right? So along with his team, we started doing need-based segmentation. Now, what is need-based segmentation? It's very simple, okay? It's actually uncover your market and start figuring out, brainstorming, what are the possible needs behind a client possibly buying your products? Sounds fair? So let's say that... Well, so go, back even, go back even to segmentation, because I don't think a lot of people think about segmenting their clients. When we talk about segmentation, there's a big lack of knowledge in here. Uh, usually most of the companies segment because what happens if you have a large company coming knocking your door or you have a tiny little company knocking your door? So usually companies segment uh, as to try to differentiate their prices or their price offerings so that different clients under different parameters, they actually qualify for specific services. Okay, Think of it as... An airline, you know, they might segment saying first class economy business. Okay, so you have different products for different market niche. Now, when you do segmentation, however, most of the segmentation is based on parameters that are really not so close to reality. So we're trying to set up prices for small, medium, large companies. We're trying to set up prices for different industries. For instance, I have pricing if you're a restaurant. I have different prices if you are a bit large B2B company. What happens, what we do is that we decided that segmentation, rep, it's a market representation of your clients. But every single time I'm talking to clients and they're telling me about their segmentation, I ask within that segment, are all clients asking for the same? Do they all want the same? And the first answer is absolutely not. So if you're segmenting services, and let's say that you sell to restaurants, or do all restaurants need exactly the same services? Do they want the same services? Absolutely not. You might have a restaurant that has 10 units. You might have another restaurant chain that has 3,000 units, different problems, different needs. The problem with segmenting by industry or by company size or by number of employees is that really they don't take care of these differences. So if I am actually thinking of restaurants, uh, small, medium, and large, uh, one thing is their size, but another thing is their services. And just because you are a large restaurant chain doesn't mean that the little guy, the little restaurant owner uh, has the same needs. So when you segment by needs, the things change because one of the wonderful things about need-based segmentation that I tell my clients is that needs don't change in time. 
So it doesn't really matter if you're two, if we're in 2021 or if we were in 1912 or if we're alive, we're in 2345. There's probably going to be one dude saying, I want cheap. There's going to be another one that says, I want fast. Another one says, I need service because through time, needs don't change. Okay, technology changes all the time. So if I'm trying to say that I have a specific technology, I'm screwed because the moment that technology is sort of like becomes obsolete, I need to change and do something else. But if I only offer or I care about attending a specific market segment, like for instance, those that are looking for service, those that are looking for financing options, those that are looking for ease of access, priority access, guaranteed access, uh, like versioning specific services, then by recognizing the needs, I can do a couple of smart questions down the road that can help me uncover lots of helpful information that will allow me to figure out my pricing scheme. Okay, so for instance, let me, let's just say to uncover one. Let, let, let me give you an idea with another example. I like to give analogies because people usually relate more to the analogies. Okay, but we haven't even finished the fish guy. We got to finish the fish. Tell, tell us the quick ending to the fish story. Oh, we did need-based segmentation. And what we uncover is that this guy, we said, hey, why don't you start serving retail, residential client? He's like, absolutely not. Why not? It's like, Dude, I'm moving thousands of tons every month. Why would I want to sell this dude three kilos of salmon plus all the headaches on payments and so on? So I said, well, let's do a comparison. Your clients, your current clients, when do they pay you? So we did analysis on that. They're supposed to be in 30 days. Nobody pays in 30 days. They have clients that were paying in 120 days, 90 days. And you know what? They're saying this is the best client because he's buying a lot from me, but he's paying you like crap. So you need to go and, and do factoring on, on your bills and so on to collect financing because this guy is buying $200,000 worth of fish and he's going to pay you 90 days after. So we figured that out. What happens, for instance, with your transport? And I said, well, what about your clients, your retail clients? I said, well, they pay cash and they pay upfront. So you go from moving all this at a huge volumes, making tiny little margins, and uh, also figuring out that you probably have to incur into further debt when in this other market, they buy, they pay cash, and when you deliver, you actually got the money. The other thing we did was a volume comparison. I said, okay, retail clients, how much would you, would you make when you sell one ton of product, okay, when you sell one ton of fish on the B2B business, Versus how much would you make if you sell one ton of fish on the retail business? And what we came out is that the factor was six to one. So for every six tons that he moves on, uh, on uh, B2B, he could actually make it up selling one ton of retail. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of product there. Also, the infrastructure, uh, he has already the trucks. He has already the cold services. We implemented this and... Uh, what I, just to come up to a, to a conclusion, we implemented this on March 2020. That was the same month the, um, the quarantine started here in Chile. His business went down to zero. And in fact, his biggest providers, two of them went bankrupt. And these are the guys that actually he was looking as the big guys. So they went bankrupt. What happens is that within the three months that after the quarantine, 
My client's B2B business went down to zero and exports went down to 10%. Financially, he was ready to go bankrupt because he owed about $1.2 million to the banks and pretty much most of these guys that actually they had bought with 90 days, uh, some of them actually did not pay. So obviously that's a, that, that was a big problem. So we were fixing this, but we installed the retail business and we launched the retail business, even though my client was not too happy. Now, let me tell you where we are today. The retail business represents to him 70% of his volume and about 82% of his rent, of his profits. The other business, the remaining, is everything that was his 100% business in 2019. That business doubled for him in volume and also increased in profits. But he's making more money on the retail than he's making on the B2B in 13 years. So what happens is that this client went from being normal to literally just expand because he uncovered a market need, in this case a segment, which was clients, and clients at one fish and the model was wonderful my client has he preserves all the uh, cold line all the way down to the client clients get the fish delivered back home as opposed to nowadays having to go to the supermarket and pick up the fish and then being all worried about going back home and that the fish doesn't doesn't thaw okay so 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 i want to know like the profitability the annual revenue and the profitability before when COVID hit march 2020 and now high level numbers my client is profit wise today he's earning about 22 times what he was earning back in his best month and he's earning this monthly so my client is no longer in (laughs) he moved to europe (laughs) 20 22 times 22 times that's the power of figuring out your pricing. I would say that's more on price and it's the power in, of figuring out value. Figuring out value. And I cut you off 22 times and then you were going to say something else. Uh, yeah, no, he's now living in Europe and driving on his motorcycle. He expanded his operation. Uh, he went from 10 guys. Now he's about, there are about 240 people. And this been over the past 12 months. And the whole growth has been, has been organic. And all we did was actually just cater a service, realize that my client was selling fish to intermediaries that on turn, in turn were selling their fish to the supermarkets and people were buying the fish probably at twice the price my client gets it. What we did is that we generated a new line selling retail, probably 30% cheaper than in the supermarket and straight to your door. Yeah, no comparison. Plus I can pay you with my credit card and I can get it delivered regularly, put it like subscription fish delivery. And this example, it's happened everywhere. And I've had the opportunity to work with CPAs too. And it's been the same thing because what happens is that when you start seeing the problem from a value standpoint, not from a price, from the numerical price, then actually I think things start making sense. That's why need-based segmentation is so helpful. So every single time you uncover needs, It gives you a lot of information. I love this. (laughs) We're in a bunch of places, which is fine. I think I want to leave the six dimensions and the nine dimensions alone for the moment. And I want to go to, you were about to launch into a story, but now I forget what it was. Do you remember what it was? Let me me give you another example. If not, I'll take you over to transactional analysis. Let's say that three, three guys go into a cell phone store and they want to buy a cell phone. And let's say that you are a cell phone manufacturer. So, you know, we are looking to create a new phone and see where the gaps are. So if we do need-based segmentation, uh, we would be figuring out what are the needs behind these people going to buy the, the cell phone. So maybe there's one guy that is looking for a cheap cell phone. Okay, so cheap, it's a 
reason to buy, okay? I'm looking for a cheap cell phone. So probably there's another one that is not looking for cheap. He's looking for status. You know, he wants to have the top cell phone because maybe he's a cool CPA and he wants to roll out and display that nice cell phone and everybody says, wow. Maybe there's a third one that actually says, hey, I don't care about cheap. Maybe he doesn't care much about cheap, doesn't care about status. He wants something with an excellent digital camera. So the question here is, these are needs. So these are considered three different needs, okay? Those that are looking for a cheap cell phone, those that are looking for status, those that are looking for a digital camera. So let me, give you the, let me give you the idea. Let's say that somebody looking for status. Let's say that you and I are looking for a status, for a cell phone with status. What would you buy? What would you consider buying for status? Well, I would clearly get an iPhone diamond encrusted. Right. Now, would it be any iPhone? Or just the latest iPhone? No, it would be the latest one. The, how, how much is the latest? Oh, oh my God. I don't pay attention to these things, but probably 700 bucks. I don't know. Yeah, 1500 bucks. Let's say that it's 1500 bucks. Okay. So listen, this is what you got. You got need, you got competitor or next best alternative, and you got a price point. Okay. So let me ask you something. So status, would you buy a Huawei? For what? No. No, right? No. Huawei is not. It has. A, it's a great cell phone, but nobody's buying a Huawei, showing it off to their friends. And how yeah, cool it's I am with a so not cool. Right. Well, I wouldn't say that, but definitely, definitely, iPhone is up there. Now, would you buy a Samsung? Uh, if I was going for, if I was going for status, no. Well, it depends because not everybody is iPhone is an iPhone lover. I mean, if you are not iPhone, you probably would buy Samsung, but not every Samsung. You would buy probably the top Samsung out there, and probably that's going to cost you about 1200 bucks. Now, let, let me change now to another need. Let's say now for the ones that are looking for a digital camera. Now, if you're looking for an excellent digital camera, would you buy an iPhone? If you're asking me, I would say I have no idea, but probably. I would say probably not, because what happens is that they have cameras. Yes. Are they good? Not as good as Huawei. But this is the other thing. Would you pay 1500 bucks for a camera when the other cell phones with excellent cameras are worth 500 bucks? That's the question. So what happens is that when you change the reason, when you change the reason to buy, the competitors change. If you're looking for an excellent digital camera, maybe iPhone would not be the best. Maybe Samsung has better things. Maybe Huawei has super things. Maybe you would even consider a Sony because they have good digital cameras. When I ask you about the prices, how much is a Huawei? 400 bucks. How much is a Sony? 500 bucks. How much is a Samsung with good cameras? Probably they run between 400 and 600 bucks. You change the reason to buy, the next best alternatives change, the prices points change and the configuration changes. Now let's go to the last one. So somebody wants to buy a cheap cell phone. Would you buy iPhone? Never. Would you buy Samsung? Probably the cheap ones. Would you consider Huawei? Yeah, probably the cheap phones, but then you would consider maybe the Chinese, maybe all those weird names, uh, you know, sketchy names that you find over there for cell phones. So all what happens is this, your clients have different needs and because they have different needs, they purchase different products. Some of them consider the price as a top element in the purchase criteria, right? Those who are looking for cheap. That's the first thing they're going to be looking for. But others are not going to be looking for cheap. Others are going to be looking for other features. And when you do need based segmentation, you just recognize those features. 
those that are one fast service, those that want uh, payment plans, those that want credit, those that want etc., 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 etc. So what happens is that in this example I gave you, one manufacturer figures three needs. Each of these needs give them marketing information or competitive information regarding next best alternatives. So if I am designing a product, and let's say that I decide I'm choosing to design a cell phone that competes in the digital camera space, what do I get? Well, by doing this, I know that I would not be comparing my cell phone to an iPhone because they're completing different segments. Same way as I would be comparing building a compact car, comparing it with a large SUV. It makes no sense, right? So when you create these different needs and you analyze the needs, you're going to uncover that for each need, different competitors sort of like come up to the top as a good alternative. Others actually fall off because they're not good. The other interesting thing about need-based segmentation is when you uncover the need or the competitor, you have a lot of information that you can gain because you got price point. So, hey, I don't know, I wanna build up a cell phone for status, how much should I charge? Well, how much are they charging now? Because whatever they're charging now, those companies, that's a price point that signals willingness to pay. How do I know? Because probably some other dude already bought that iPhone, okay, at that price. So I already know that those price points are real, and I already know also what the configuration is. All I need to do now is open up these phones, figure out exactly what they sell, and these are these would be the, considered the value attributes offered at that price point. Value attributes, I love it. Keep going. Okay, also when we talk about the dimensions, the idea is that if you're looking, for instance, that the company Let's say let's continue with the cell phones. Let's say that there's a difference on the screen size. That's a physical attribute, right? Uh, there's a difference on the quality. Maybe some using uh, some using uh, a lower uh, performance chip, maybe versus the other one. So that goes into quality. Maybe um, uh, like in the computers, maybe the main processor is Intel. Maybe the other one is I don't know another brand. So all these things all of a sudden start making sense because when I uncover the needs, figure out the competitors and their prices, I start analyzing the value attributes that those competitors offer for that need. And then what you're going to find is always misalignments. You're going to find out that usually companies are, your competitors are offering things that they probably are the only ones that offer the feature maybe Maybe the standard is just a feature that everybody offers, um, and that gives you information regarding which physic, which value attributes are actually differentiated because maybe you offer them only, or one specific competitors offer them, or which ones are standard. So when we're talking about the pricing issue, the, bis- the, the big question here is that okay, what should be my base? What should be my base price? my minimum sellable product. Everybody talks about MVPs, minimum viable products. I call them MSPs, minimum sellable product, because I don't give a damn if the thing is viable or not. All I want is to sell it. So it has to be a minimum sellable product, okay? So um, the question is, how how do you define that minimum sellable product? Well, you need to do need-based segmentation, figure out the competitors, study them, and then you start studying what they offer. Okay, some companies say, hey, we are ISO 9000 certified. Okay, where does that go? 
okay? Does it go in quality, on service? Does it affect ease of purchase? And then this gives you sort of a parameter where you can actually start sort of encapsulating value in different boxes. And then when I have 10, compa 10 cell phone manufacturers, for instance, that I did this exercise, um, I can figure out, well, what are they all offering regarding ease of purchase? What are they all offering regarding quality? And then I can figure out these insights of quality for that price point. Okay. So there's a lot here for under the need segmentation piece for people to bite off and explore. And I want to leave the need segmentation piece for the time being, because what you said in your interview with Mark Stiving from Impact Pricing was do need-based segmentation and pair it with transactional analysis and you'll get a killer business. Most CPAs are not going to know what that means because there were, you know, we're just beginning here with need-based segmentation. And so talk to us about transactional analysis, how the combination of the two makes a killer business. It's funny that we're talking about transactional analysis to CPAs, right? Because I think they don't, no, none of them do transactional analysis, even though they are on that field. Transactional analysis is very simple. It's just quantifying your sales. Uh, there's a wonderful tool. Uh, it's called a waterfall analysis. And a waterfall analysis, I think that's how you should do or focus your transactional analysis. Now, a waterfall is just... For those CPAs, I'm very bad at Excel, so I'm just going to explain it in an Excel. It's a large Excel, okay, with a bunch of columns, but each column uh, represents sort of a progression between from the starting price, which is the starting sort of like advertised price, regular price, no discounts, no offers, and then I go working from that price all the way to the price or what's called the pocket price, which is the net price that the company receives. Let me give you an idea. Let's say that you have a, a CPA has two large companies as clients. And they, let's say that uh, they are sending the CPA, I don't know, 20,000 um, invoices every month. So they're pretty much the same, same amount, same industries and so on. So for one of these companies, Let's say that they are getting a 20% discount on the fee. Uh, let's say that also this client is paying with a credit card for the services, so you get charged you know, 5% on that too. Let's say that uh, on top of that, maybe you have a junior guy that actually is there assigned, so maybe if the company has a problem, they call the junior guy. So let's say that this company doesn't call the junior guy that often. The other company that has the same transactional part, let's say that they don't get that 20% discount, okay? They get 50% discount. And let's just say that on top of the discount, when you start doing this analysis and you ask that person, that junior, same junior that you assigned to the other one, hey, out of the week, how many times do you talk to this other guy? And let's just say that this guy says, dude, I'm here with them every hour, every day I have at least an hour. Well, these are costs, but these costs tend to be sunk right? It's kind of like my operation, you know, I just, this is my income, these are my costs. But none of these costs were sort of like partitioned or attributed to specific accounts. So when I'm talking about transactional analysis, I'm talking about at the end of the month, okay, I put all my clients, everything they bought, all the income I got from them, on, what the, on the things that they actually purchase, and then I start discounting all these activities and services that they are actually incurring on my operation. There are clients, for instance, and I'll, I'll give you a big tip here. The one thing that I find out that nobody counts, it's financing. 
So for instance, I have clients here, let's say it's the same CPA, okay? Uh, when analyzing these two clients that they actually invoice the same for the CPA, you figure out that one pays you immediately. You submit the invoice, the next day he pays. The other one pays 30 days later. So let me ask you, which one of these two is most profitable? Yeah, the one who pays right up front. Okay, how do you know it? So usually most people don't know it. And when you go to transactional analysis, you don't you don't figure this out. Well, I can tell you one of the things, your top client usually pays you the worst. And that's what happens everywhere. So you figure out that you are doing business with a big client because he's super big for you. He represents 80% of your income. But when you start figuring out exactly what this client is consuming from you versus the other ones, they are consuming much more. How do you figure out? You need to quantify things like the financing, okay, to be able to hypothetically penalize these companies or award these companies with more or less profits from you because they're consuming less services. You understand? It's kind of like that way, for instance, let's say that um, following this same example, the accounting firm figures out that these two same clients, there's a difference in how they pay. So I would ask the CPA, I would say, if you ask a bank for money, the bank will probably charge you interest on a per day basis. So what's the typical interest rate that you would get charged? I don't know. Let's just say 15%. Okay. So 15% annually, if I divide that by 360 days, for instance, that would give me a percentage. That would be the percent of interest that I would have to pay pay the bank for every day that I ask him for money. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you actually have a client that needs to pay you $10,000 and these two clients needed to pay you 10,000 and they pay you 10,000, but one pay you immediately after the invoice, the other one pay you 30 days later. Well, what happens, what I do is that I said, okay, let's quantify that. So in the waterfall, which is the progression, I said in the progression, the clients, you know, how much they bought. And then I said, okay, date when I invoice him. Mm-hmm. Date when he pay, number of days that he overpay or, you know, I finance him because you're financing him. And then I said, okay, percentage rate of that amount for the number of days, give me a tiny little amount. It's a hypothetical, but I will deduct that amount from that uh, income that I'm receiving from that client because he's consuming that versus the other. And that allows me to start sort of like figuring out variations between clients, clients that not only pay late, clients that actually consume more services, consume more of your or require more of your attentions. Yesterday I was talking to a client that actually deals with banks and uh, he was just telling me there's one particularly bank that um, represents about 60% of all their sales. And then when we're looking about this activity costing, which is what I'm telling you about financing, they figure out that they're actually losing money with the biggest client. And the reason is because over the past two years, they grew the customer service area because actually they received lots of demands, but because they see everything as a sunken cost, they're thinking, oh, look, good, we need, we, we need more service, so hire more people. So they went from two to 20 people And when we did the activity costing, over 80% of all the activity of that customer service area was for that one client. Holy smokes. And that gives you a lot of insights and a lot of information because after you do this, you can figure out 
what's the profitability of each one of your clients. Now, this is not complex, but uh, the reality of it is that you have in your data tons of information that allows you to do value-based pricing. You don't need me. You don't need an expert. You don't need a marketing analyst. You don't need a pricing analyst. Okay. You don't need the McKenzie. You don't need anybody because you have all the data there. All you need is a little bit of time, a little bit of knowledge and start working with your team to actually get this stuff right. But you have everything. It's just that some of the, most of these cross data, it's never done before. Yeah. And it's all buried underground. You just got to dig it up. And like you say, make the time to look at it and think about it objectively and figure out where your profit opportunities are. So before we wrap up, I still want to hear from you on how to combine or pair need-based segmentation with transactional analysis to get the killer business. Um, absolutely. For instance, uh, with this same client that I was just telling you, okay? Well, when we did need-based segmentation, this is a this is a payment gateway company, okay? Um, they just process fees and they compete with all the other payment gateways. They developed software where they actually added all these payment functionalities and uh, charging functionalities. So for instance, for a large company like Alliance, which is a client for them, not only it's a payment gateway, but they can actually add about 35 payment rules. So they can allow... Through this system, they can allow a client to combine multiple payment fields or, or modes. For instance, a client can actually um, now pay physically somewhere or they can go to another store. But also what they did is that they created these uh, rules. So for instance, a company like Alliance can send an invoice and instead of just being processed like a, through a regular PayPal or payment gateway like that through a bank, this, uh, this company gives you the ability to actually split payments, allow the, cl- the customer to have a minimum payment to charge, uh, avoid double payments, and so on. So these 35 rules represent a huge working load for uh, administrative offices that are in charge of billing and, and receivables. Now, what happens is that, I'll give you an idea. So they uncover some markets through need-based segmentation. And when we did the uh, analysis, and we were doing this yesterday, when we were doing the analysis, they figure out that although they have about 400 clients, 90% of all their transactions, their profitable transactions, come from two sectors. Only two sectors, education and public utilities. Why was this important for them? Because they would have not done the analysis had they not uncovered the need. So need-based segmentation tells you the who. Need-based segmentation tells you who is your client that you're going to design your products for, okay? So if your needs-based segmentation in the end comes out that you have four or five uh, segments, important segments, and one of them is they want it cheap, so the transactional analysis allows you through the waterfall, for instance, allows you to do the analysis, figuring out those clients that are cheap, or those clients that are looking for cheap or that are paying cheap, but it will give you information as to how are they consuming your products and services inside. So this would actually give you a very transparent and clear image of what they say they want and what they are actually consuming. And that's why I say it's a killer business because need-based segmentation figures out the who and the transactional analysis through a waterfall tells you exactly how are they consuming. So when you have the who and the how, now I can build specific products, specific services for those guys. And I'm not inventing everything because all I'm looking is at the data of how they consume products and services before. 
So now you know exactly who you're selling to, who your markets are, and what they want to buy from you. And you can stop doing all the rest that just kicks up dust and creates heat and only focus on what your profitable centers and services are. Absolutely. And the idea is that the clients, I mean, I, I want to tell this also to the audience. I, I've done these analyses for over, uh, in total, it's been 1,500 clients, but 700 clients have actually, we, we run these uh, segmentations analysis. And you know what we found that everybody always starts saying that price is a huge issue for the clients. Usually we figure out that low prices represents less than 3% of the uh, statistically relevant market. What I mean is that most of the guys that are building products for cheap, you're just covering or attending 5% of the market. There's another 95% of the market that is looking for everything else other than cheap. They're looking for service. They're looking for quality. They're looking for ease of access. They're looking for uh, payment plans. They're looking for options. And that's where the big uh, uh, opportunity is that you really don't need to be a genius to say, as I told the client another way, I mean, you know, in the world of the blind, Okay, the one-eye monster is king. So in the in a, in a world, well, for instance, all the plumbers they just charge in cash and pay me fifty up front and fifty last. He who says, "Hey, I also take credit cards here, and you can pay me in installments." All of a sudden, he gets more clients. He doesn't have to be the best. Why? Well, because it has nothing to do with your service. It has to do with uncovering and fulfilling a need. And sometimes the need has nothing to do with your service, but it has to do with all the other items or attributes that are orbiting around your services. For instance, you know, you sell CPA services. Great. What happens to the guy that says, hey, can I pay you in payment plans? If you have nothing and you say, yes, you pay me cash once, that guy's not going to go to your store. He's not going to be attended by you. Okay. You could be the best CPA for a specific service, but let's say that the guy says, hey, this is great, but uh, uh, do you offer another service, another service, maybe something that is not so top? And most of the company says, no, this is what we have. You know, there's a wrong focus nowadays on the market where everybody's pretending to build the best product out there for the cheapest price. That makes no sense. I don't see Mercedes, okay, uh, sweating when Fiat actually runs a promo on their light cars and they shouldn't sweat, okay? So my point is that even if you like Mercedes, think about it. What has Mercedes done over the past few years? Before, 20, 30 years ago, you only have one car, expensive. Nowadays, you can be you can buy A class, B class, C class, and within the class, you can have the 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 car that has you know the the luxury version, the sports version, the uh, the light version, the family version, because they create options. And the secret to pricing is options. It's like a menu on a restaurant. Okay, how do you feel if you go to a restaurant and when you sit down and they bring you the menu, all they have is two dishes and it's a combo with drinks that you don't like and you don't eat dessert okay but it's included um and it's a, a big <laughs> fat price and then when the waiter is actually telling me hey you know do you like this plate i'm like it's so expensive oh but look at the dessert look at the drinks and i'm like yeah i don't eat dessert so the idea is that just as you go to a really good restaurant and you sit down and they give you a menu and that menu is designed to activate different customer segments, segments that are 
identified by need. So when you look at a menu, a good design menu, okay, they tell you to start for couples, for lunch, you know, cold dishes, desserts, coffee. And this is the idea. If you have a if you have a guy that actually walks into that restaurant, and let's say that this is a steakhouse, okay? So walks into a restaurant and sits down, asks for coffee. The owner's not gonna be pissed. He should not be upset. Why? Because whatever that profit is, even though it's a tiny little small contribution, the fact that he offered an option meant that that client stayed, served himself, and that profit stayed in the company. When you do not offer the option, you're telling the guy, oh, you don't offer coffee? I'll go next door. And those profits are actually transferred somewhere else. The biggest problem you have nowadays with CPAs, highly inflexible on their pricing. Same as attorneys. Okay, you do cost-based you figure out everything by the hour makes very little sense, okay? Because let me tell you something else about that too. And that would be a huge, an interesting debate for another thing. I mean, what happens if you're a CPA with 20 years of experience and now you can do things faster? You earn less money, buddy. The faster you get, the less you make. Right. You're better off using dial-up. Exactly. Hey, I, I used to charge eight hours a day. Now, now I'm smart. Now I charge only for two. Yeah. And <laughs> so if I want to make the same money I made, made before, now I have to have four times the number of clients. It makes very little sense. Uncover your value, but figure your value based on two things. One, what are the needs that the clients have? And two, what are the current options out there that best satisfy those needs? Hmm. That's where the money is because there are loads of needs that are not being met. And that's where the opportunities are. Yes. Uh, Let me ask you one more question before we wrap up here. When you work with clients and you work your pricing magic, what's the scale of the results that you see? Like, are we talking like 10% growth, 40% growth? Are we talking like more like your fish guy, 22X and so on? It varies. But I have to say one thing, nobody's ever upset at the results. Um, it has to do with value, uh, but it has to do also with where you stand in terms of value. And one of the wonderful things about what I do and what I really enjoy the most is that most of the companies are a completely different after than they were before. And the results, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that, you know, everybody actually goes, gets filthy rich, but I will say that your business really eases a lot and uh, there's lots of less friction all of a sudden the owners are making more the employees are also making more money business is making more sense nobody needs to be pushing for last minute promotions to try to make up income uh, and that, I think that's wonderful because that takes you off so I would say a dumb race and most of the most companies nowadays, including me before, obviously, we were into this dumb race pretending that he who wins is the one that earns them, that makes the most money in, in terms of income or in terms of growth. And it's not like that. It does. It, 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 it's not a matter of being a god. You know, it's a matter of being dynamite. So, uh, as I say, it's like. The opportunities are wonderful. I had two clients that they just received. For instance, I had two clients, uh, startups. Uh, they, we did work, uh, and six months later, one of them received $2 million uh, on, uh, of investment. And I just uh, talked to another client that they just received $30 million from NASA. The other one actually, and it's incredible. I mean, I don't get any money from that. I charge super little, but I'm very happy because I see them 
uh, excited about it. And to me, that's enough reward. And to my clients, uh, yeah, I mean, I see everybody actually walking slower, talking slower, uh, more relaxed. And I think that's actually a huge win, specifically knowing the year and the time we are now. Yeah, oh, I love that. There's something rewarding about watching your clients succeed in part because of the work you do. Jose, if people want to find you, where can they do that? Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is a long Latin American name. And my parents did a wonderful job at, at calling me Jose. So you can you can find me by Jose <laughs> Mirabal. Uh, you can also look into our website, pricing.institute. It's not that com. Uh, it's pricing that institute. And also, uh, if you have any questions, I love to help. So if you have any questions, just uh, hit me up with a couple of lines. And uh, the true honest answer is that I'm here to help. I, I, I get a lot of pleasure when people actually really get this stuff and works for them. So if you're one of these and you need help, call me. If you're a large company, I expect you to pay me. But uh, believe me, when you pay me, you make much more than what you pay. But again, it's uh, I love to help. So if you have any questions, hit me up. And Geraldine, if you have, if, if you want to call me up with another uh, specific uh, issue or pricing issue, absolutely. Just let me know and I'm here. Ah, oh, well, I'm going to put you on speed dial, Jose. This has been super helpful and informative. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. My pleasure. Does the idea of pricing up front make you go deer in the headlights? You wish you could, but you don't know how? The next time you charge somebody 75 bucks for the 30 minutes it took to run a tax plan that saved your client $25,000, Stop what you're doing and head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to subscribe to my daily drip of business strategy for CPAs. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price your services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is SheThinksBigCoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.